to Clear Eyes, Full Hearts, a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. This is an episode-by-episode look at the award-winning TV show Friday Night Lights, created by Peter Berg. I'm Stacey Orstano. I played Mindy Collette Riggins. And I'm Derek Phillips, and I played Billy Riggins. The assumption, as always, is that you, our listeners, have already watched the show. But if you haven't already, go watch Friday Night Lights, which is currently streaming on Netflix and Peacock TV, because there will be spoilers. And check out our merch. That's a right. So go check out our brand new website designed by Eleanor Carez, who is at Eleanor Carez on Instagram. Our website is www.cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Once again, that's cleareyesfullheartspod.com. Still, we want to answer your questions. Email us everything you want to know at cleareyesfullheartspod at gmail.com. Today, season two, episode five, Let's Get It On, written by Patrick Massett and directed by David Boyd. Here is the NBC synopsis. Coach Taylor returns to Dylan as head coach, but it's not an easy homecoming. Meanwhile, Tim and Lila try to change Jason's mind about experimental surgery. And we have a spectacular guest with us today, Emmy Award-winning local casting director of Friday Night Lights, Beth sepko Lindsay. Before we chat with Beth, let's get into the highlights of this episode. goes to Mexico. I found myself again asking this question, where the heck are the parents? The parents? Buddy Garrity's at the dealership, passed out again. He's been boozing up because he's all upset that his wife left. Come on, Stace, that's where the parents are. There are no parents at Dylan. It's more like a universal, where are your children thought. Like, yes. these kids are supposed to be in school and they're not. They're in yeah. an entirely different country. You didn't just leave the Mexico for a week when you were in high school? No, and I had this thought about that too. I also, there's no way I could have afforded that in high school. Like, it's insane to me. Yeah, but you didn't have that Jason Street money. I guess I didn't have that $10,000 bag of cash. <laughs> I mean, we skipped school. We would like go to the beach. Well, I grew up in Miami, so we go to the beach. I'm not saying we yeah. went on like, we didn't go to Hawaii. I was in Arlington, the basic top middle of Texas. We didn't have any water. There was nothing fun to do in my town. Skip school and you don't have anything to do. No, we would skip school and we'd go to the beach. The whole entire senior class would just skip one day. I'm sure there were a couple geeks who actually went to school, but yeah. There were. You get that perfect attendance. <laughs> That's right. Meanwhile, this scene with Coach and Tammy is quintessential FNL. And this dynamic, the, the shorthand that the two of them have is what makes them the most beloved television couple. I would say still the most beloved television couple. I, I just love watching these two work together and it just feels right having Coach back in town. Do you think they did a chemistry read together. It would make sense, right? When we have one of them on, I want to ask. I never even thought about it because they're so good. Well, I know Connie had the job before Kyle did. Yeah, so it would be a chemistry read for him. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, D. In this practice, coach switches up the defense and offense to loosen them up. I've never seen that. I've never heard of it. Is that a thing that happens? I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a thing that happens. I went to a smaller high school, so we had a lot of guys who went both ways. They played both offense and defense. I don't know that I've ever seen a whole team switch sides. It sounds more like an acting exercise that you would do. We would do that occasionally in college, like I'll play your part, you play mine. Mm -hmm. That surely wouldn't happen on a professional level, but at the high school level, why not? The non-starters on a high school football team are basically practice squad anyway. So, I mean, they get used to playing both offense and defense in practice. It's just a way for coach to remind these kids why they play the game to begin with. And that's because it's fun. I think that's what he was missing at TMU. And you can tell Mm -hmm. by the grin on Eric's face that he happens to be really enjoying himself. And we as an audience just like having him back and telling him. That seems to be coach's 
thing almost always. That's his through line almost throughout the whole entire series is that I love football. Football is a great game and I want you to enjoy it. When he sees the game being tarnished by money or being tarnished by ego, he's always going to go back to trying to find the purity of the game and what makes it such a wonderful wonderful game. I gotta tell you, I could do without Coach Mack talking about riding in the saddle. Mack McGill is a bona fide renaissance man, Stacy. Is he? He's buying tulips for Susan, his wife. He's a well-read man. He listens to the psychiatrist doctor on the, on the oh, way to school. Oh, that's true. He does seem <laughs> uh, to know what his wife likes. I like that. He does. The problem is that he wants to let us know what his wife likes. And sometimes those are things better left unsaid. But yes, Mack is very open with Coach about him getting back in the saddle. Oh, dear God. <laughs> Um, also, I rewound to make sure that I heard this the right way, but I was like, wait, is that cop talking about me? Because all I heard was him saying, and her sister's a stripper. But I was like, wait, who are they talking about? And then we see that it's Tyra and I'm like, oh, they're talking about me. Yeah, we come in on Landry's dad listening to a couple of cops reading the rap sheet of Tyra. And <sighs> I didn't know the rap sheet was that long. She has an indecent exposure. It's nothing terrible, but it's not it's good. It's great. No, you know, she hadn't killed anybody. <laughs> Yet. That's a pretty big file for a juvenile. The thing is, you know that this isn't going to bode well. Landry's pops is already suspicious of their relationship, and now he's extremely suspicious, not only of their relationship, but of her in general. The last thing you want at this point when you're murdering people is to have cops sniffing around. Take it from experience, Stacey. True, true words have never been spoken on our podcast. So your brother, Tim yes. Riggins, his idea to save Street is a booze cruise. And I got to tell you, I am 100% here for it. I'm 100% here for a booze cruise. I don't even drink anymore, but it sounds like fun. But also, again, those kids are supposed to be in school. This is Dillon, Texas. You go to school two days a week. You play football for 10 days. And then you get into a top college later. Exactly. Tammy walks into her kitchen and says, I smell bacon. And I think we may have told the audience before, but I don't know if we did. But every time our show was shooting in the Taylor household, Kyle Chandler would get there early and actually cook bacon for like the entire crew. So when she says it smells like bacon, I bet your bottom dollar, it's not a lot like bacon. Yeah, this is true. Also, like in later seasons, he got a little portable grill, mm -hmm. like a gas burning portable grill that you could use indoors. And he would literally sit there and cook bacon sometimes. I think there's actually a scene of him doing it on the show. So every time you had a scene in Coach's office, it smelled like bacon. I got him bacon-flavored toothpicks one time. Just because. I know. I'm so thoughtful. Let's go back to that bacon situation here. Because mm -hmm. I think the whole reason Coach is making this bacon, he's got some ulterior motives. Because he wants to ride in the saddle? He wants to get back in that saddle. Oh, the way to a woman's heart is always bacon. Really noted. I'm putting that down. Seriously calling out coach in coach's own house. I just have to ask, who is this Matt? When I was watching, I literally just went, yikes. He got one back rub from Carlotta and he's a brand new man. This is the massive elephant in the room though. And at some point coach is going to have to have a combo with his players about taking the job at TMU because I do feel like it's going to come to a head at some point. These kids aren't really ready to play for him right now because of what transpired over the course of the last, you know, seven or eight months or nine months in Dillon. Yeah, I guess he did just kind of walk into the locker room and then all of a sudden he's coach again. That's a lot yeah. for kids to have to deal with. And there I am in my bra coming <laughs> out of my room. I totally forgotten about this. I do remember asking the makeup department after they did my makeup. I was like, can you guys just smear it so it looks like I just woke up and I look really hungover? And they did. It's a quick little scene, but your delivery here is brilliant when you say, why is there a cop in my living room? 
It's just this deadpan. I can't even do it, but you just killed that delivery. It's fun. So completely, I was going to say not necessary, but I guess it is there to prove to Landry's dad that like, yeah, this household is maybe not where you want your son hanging out. Yes. Our role on this show was to Mm -hmm. show what shouldn't be happening. Yes, what you don't want to become is me. That being said, this scene between them breaks my heart because Tyra, especially for the past little bit, has been working so hard to make this new image of herself and be the person that she wants to be and get out of Dylan. But you can't stop that, man. All these people still have their old feelings about who she is and who our family is. And like, is she ever going to get away from that? Yeah. And I think a lot of that is guilt by association. You've got a stripper sister. Your mom Mm -hmm. probably has a pretty terrible reputation in town. We don't know Tyra's father, but I think it's safe to say that before their dad bolted, he probably didn't have the greatest reputation. It's a small town. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree kind of thing. It's tough. I did want to say Glenn Morshower crushes it in this scene. He's so good. I get his side of it too. I mean, he's trying to protect his son. And you and I know that Tyra's a good egg as an audience member, but yeah. like, it doesn't matter. It's still a kick in the teeth to watch this scene. Yeah, because his son is just that kid that started, what, an algebra club and nobody showed up. Right. <laughs> but he wants to stay that kid forever. Yeah. Again, Tim Riggins might be my favorite Tim Riggins that we've seen so far is him in this episode. And he screams, you're never going to walk again. Never. Fact. And that was just truth. And as hard as it is, I think that's the best side I've seen of him as a friend. When you're telling somebody that you love just the truth that they cannot see. That is a true sign of being a friend. When you have to tell that person that hard truth, when you have to bring that person back down to reality. On a different note, Stacey, do you remember who directed this episode? Dave. David Boyd. So David Boyd, once again, guys, is the director of photography on Friday Night Lights. He always does an amazing job. But whenever he's directing an episode, it's like he's saving some of these little perfect moments for this particular episode, that scene where Street jumps off the boat and he's in the water and we see him go into the water and that Mm -hmm. shot going up is just like beautiful, beautiful little shot there from David Boyd. And then I wanted to talk about the music in this scene as well, because playing underneath all of this is that To Build a Home song by Cinematic Lights Orchestra. That whole entire scene, the way it comes together, him landing on that beach, it's a rebirth in some respects. That's maybe what it is. We like see him swimming. We know he's paralyzed. And then that wave picks him up and drops him on the beach. And it's like his realization of like, oh, this is my life. This is who I am. And he starts to laugh in that moment. And it was so honest and so real that I think that's exactly what somebody in that situation would do. And I think that's the thing that we've been watching Street struggle with over the course of the past year. And it felt like he was getting better and, and may have regressed a little bit in this season. This idea of him coming to terms with the fact that he will not walk again. And I feel like him landing on that beach is that moment. Mm -hmm. That laughter, he's accepted this now and he can move on with his life. And that is something exciting to see. That's not to say that he's not going to have hardships and that there's not going to be trials coming in the future, but he's accepted what his reality is. And no shark stem cells in his spine, which as alliterated and beautiful as that was, I'm glad didn't happen to him. Then, you know, my favorite halftime coach, Taylor, he is spitting fire, but then it's Landry Clark that seems to bring this team together for what they do in the second half. Yeah, and it's unexpected. He's very low on the totem pole as far as players on the Dillon Panthers are concerned, but sometimes it takes that guy who's got the outside perspective on things to kind of wake everybody also, up. Also, he's just smart and exactly. has the vocabulary for it, and people are like, oh, wait, you're right. Exactly. you got a bunch of meatheads in the locker room. They're like, well, Socrates, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> 
And I just said Socrates. I meant Aristotle. Uh, the second half of this game, I sort of sometimes forget that this show is centered around football until we have a game like this one where I went through the emotions of the players on the field. But of course, the game had to end with a play between Saracen and Smash so we can finally show that these two are joined again and will be the Panthers that we love. This scene with Landry and Tyra here, this breaks my damn heart. It's post-game. Landry's on cloud nine. They're cheering his name. Yeah. I mean, how often has he probably been celebrated? And for a kid who when we start the show is really just looking oh, to be accepted. I think this is kind of a wonderful moment. And of course, it's Friday Night Lights. You don't get to have those moments last long. So immediately after that, Tyra pulls him aside and says, you know, I think we should stop seeing each other. She does this thing where she insults him and basically tells him that he's unattractive and that he's ugly. And we know as an audience that she's doing this because she's trying to rip that Band-Aid off and get him not to want to be around her. If I can hurt him, then maybe he'll leave me alone. But we know that she loves him and she's only doing this because Landry's dad has told her to stay away from son. It breaks my heart. I don't know. It was so mean. It's so mean. And then when she goes back to the car and she starts crying, we know that she didn't mean any of it. I know, but Landry doesn't know that. No, and Landry doesn't know that. That's the worst part. I do have to say, I'm digging this mat, this mat that stood up to coach and this Matt that finally told Julie what she needed to hear. Like, yeah, you should be mad at Julie. She was terrible to you. Yeah, exactly. I watched that scene and I was like, yeah, good for you, Matt. And I still like Julie, but I'm like, I'm mad at Julie right yeah. now. And is it possible, Stacey, just hear me out, that when Carlotta oh. was giving him that back massage, mm -hmm. that she also gave him a spine? Huh? Oh, God. I'm serious. Something happened in that back massage moment, Stacey. It was the singing that did it. Her siren song awakened in him, and that we've never seen. <laughs> I love it. Oh, Carlotta. And meanwhile, we're at the end of the rewatch portion of this episode. In a la the film Itumama Tambien, we have this kinky moment with Tim and Lila and Street. They're still in Mexico, and Lila winds up making out with Street and Tim at the same time. And then Coach Stacy, at the very end of the episode, winds up getting back in the saddle. But at least Lila did go outside to pray. Because I was like, oh God, what are the three of you going to do? Okay, she's going to pray. That moment was pretty kinky though. Pretty kinky for FNL. Also, kids get back in school. Please return to school, children. Anyway, guys, that is the end of our rewatch portion of the show. But please stick around because we are about to move into our interview with Beth Sepko Lindsay, the Emmy-winning Texas casting director of Friday Night Lights. everybody. We're delighted to have the ridiculously talented casting director, Beth Sepko Lindsay, here with us on the show today. Beth has been nominated for five Emmy Awards and won her first Emmy in 2007 for her brilliant work casting Friday Night Lights. Beth was the local casting director on FNL and was responsible for finding many of the characters you know and love, including Grandma Sarah's. Buddy Garrity, Mama Smash, Street's parents, Saracen's dad, Becky Sproles, Wade Aikman, Principal Burnwell, the Swede, Mac McGill, Angela Collette, Dallas Tinker, Vince Howard's mom, Mayor Riddell, Guy Raston, Glenn Reed, and both Stacy and I. Basically, we owe our careers to you. <laughs> she was also in charge of casting close to a thousand actors that make up basically the town of Dillon, Texas. And that's over the course of five seasons. Beth has also worked as a casting director on such TV shows and films as 1883, The Sun, Alita Battle Angel, Queen of the South, The Leftovers, American Crime, Straight Outta Compton, Revolution, Chef, Machete, Death Proof, Planet Terror, Temple Grandin, Idiocracy, A Scanner Darkly, Fast Food Nation, Sin City, Secondhand Lions, Office Space, Rushmore, Waiting for Guffman, and of course, the Oscar-winning film Boyhood, directed by the incomparable Richard Linklater. So, Beth, thank you so much for being here. Is it weird to hear your resume read out like that? <laughs> yes! It's like a daily affirmation I've never done, but I think I'm going to start doing <laughs> 
Yeah, just call me up and I'll read your resume to you. That'd be great. Never feeling down. So first and foremost, just for the fans of the show, I know what a casting director is and Stacey knows what a casting director is and what you guys do. But I think, you know, for people that are outside the business, it might be helpful if you could explain exactly what it is in your words. I consider myself the conduit from the talent to the director or producer, depending on your medium, to find each other. I like to bring the creative team's vision to life and help them sort of paint the picture, you know, both emotionally and physically, really, with the humans standing in front of them. So how did you wind up getting into casting? Like, how does that path start out? I was an agent first. You know, basically in school, I did plays and things Mm -hmm. and competed in UIL competitions. But I didn't necessarily have the strength or just need to pursue acting and leave Texas. So I was an agent for several years. And then at some point realized I either needed to be an agent for the rest of my life or do something else. And at the time, there was a casting director who did commercials who seemed to go through assistance fairly quickly. I won't say (laughs) And I decided, you know what? Maybe I'm going to leave agenting behind me and get into casting. So I assisted her for about a year. And then suddenly an opportunity came up to do extras casting on a TV movie, uh, which I'd never done, had no idea, was totally flying by the seat of my pants, making stuff up. And then, you know, a few years later, got my first gig casting principals, local casting on a Disney film called Rocket Man, which is a big deal. And basically there was a line producer who said, I always root for the underdog and gave me an opportunity. It was very cool and just kind of continued from there. I mean, Friday Night Lights was a huge opportunity. There hadn't really been a network television show in Austin. And I wanted that so bad. At the wrap party, I told Pete Berg and Sarah Aubrey, like you changed my life. Friday Night Lights changed my life. Vice versa. Like Stacy and I can say the same. I remember like it was yesterday, the, the first time I auditioned for you. I remember you calling me back and saying, hey, Pete Berg's going to be in town tomorrow. Can you stick around? And I literally, I was so broke. I had to sleep on a friend's recliner that night because <laughs> he didn't even have <laughs> a sofa. only handed me half of a headshot. No, what? I don't remember so that. You had a weird history of handing me sort of crap headshots. No. Like there was one that literally looked like a tire had run over it. It had bumps from asphalt. I'm not even sure if there was a resume. And I was like, dude, I'm handing these to directors. The very next time you came in, you handed me a headshot. You had it in your hand where I couldn't see the whole thing. And it looked pristine and lovely. And I said, very good. And I turned and walked away and I looked and it was literally torn in half. You had only handed me half of it. And I fell on the floor laughing. It was the best joke. And it was, it just showed me your personality and it was just a scream. And I I tell that story over and over. I don't remember that. That's a bold move. Headshots are expensive and you were broke. So I get it. (laughs) No, but I took a lot of time. I do remember having a conversation with an actor friend of mine who was like, dude, I just crumple them up and hand them to people. I don't know. There's all these ideas that people have to make an impression on casting. But that did it. I remember it. it. I think of it always. It was awesome. Amazing. I'm embarrassed right now. I really I'm am. Sorry. I think I can't believe you don't remember. No, I mean, maybe I left the house because I was coming from Dallas and like, oh crap, 
I don't even have a headshot. What the hell's yeah. wrong? I think of you as a professional actor. I'm sure it was just a fluke. That happened all the time. I hated when in-person casting would be like an early morning thing. I always say, put me at the end of the day, yeah. even though directors retired from scouting or whatever. But first thing in the morning, actors have left Dallas at four or 5 a.m. Yeah. and had copious amounts of caffeine and yeah. come down to Austin. And by the time they come into my office, they're so jittery and jacked up that it's almost impossible to have a good audition. So <laughs> I never want morning casting sessions. No, that's oh, tough. I, I think also actors that. are kind of nocturnal, especially when we're younger. I don't think I woke up before noon unless I was working. Oh, for sure. <laughs> because I was bartending or waiting tables when I was starting out. But yeah, I mean, as you said, this job changed your life and it completely and totally changed ours. So thank you for that opportunity. I don't know that I've ever officially had the chance to tell you that. I know quite a few people, Bria Grant among them, who were like, yeah, it was Beth Sucko. Mm-hmm. And like Jeffrey Reiner, that gave me the entire rest of our careers. You left and I was and like, so get the thank you. Everyone's gone. But you know, you, you go to the movies and you go, oh, 42. Oh, Derek is playing such a nasty character. I was going to ask you, what is it specifically on a show like Friday Night Lights that you and the rest of the producing team were looking for when you were casting a role? Like, I know every role is different, but was there one overriding thing that was one kind of theme that you were looking for when you were bringing actors in? Authenticity. Because of Pete's ties to Texas and Friday Night Lights and his experiences from football here, I grew up in tech. Look, I was on dance team. I was on the football field. I did a halftime show in the Cotton Bowl. So we wanted it to feel like Texas football. We wanted from the booster parents to the students, to the rally girls, to everybody. We wanted it to feel real, which is also why look, Jeffrey Reiner gets a lot of credit for being willing to take a chance on actors in Texas. We would start every episode with the conference call with the LA creative teams. I mean, Linda Lowy and John Bryce were so amazing also. And we would talk about the characters in the next script. And there were times that I would say, oh, I don't know if I have this. I'll certainly audition. I may have a couple of really good people. It's going to be quality, not quantity. And there were sometimes I was worried and Jeffrey would say, don't sell yourself short, Beth. Just read people. Someone like LaMarcus Tinker, Dallas Tinker, LaMarcus Tinker. I don't know which is his real name and which is his character name. (laughs) I'm not sure either. Someone, you know, like that, that we we just fell in love with. And even Madison, Dora Madison, I'd been reading since she was eight years old. Oh my gosh. you know, had not really been able to cast her before this show. It was really great. We just wanted it to feel authentic, to feel like you were watching a documentary. We had Bradley Lynn on recently. Stacey and I were talking about the authenticity on this show. And that's 100% on your shoulders. When you watch these scenes, it just feels like Texas. And I've lived in Texas. I went to school in Texas. So that's my Texas connection. But it just feels like Texas to me. There's an authenticity. There's a realness to all the characters. And that's 100% on you because you found all these people. Now, you know, there's people like Brad Leland and Libby Valaria that I didn't find. They were doing every Texas movie before I ever even knew about casting. I joke with Brad Um, that basically if you're going to do a film in Texas, there's like a waiver that has to be signed through the Texas Film Commission that you have to hire Brad because it seems like that's the case. yeah. And he that. goes, hey, man, that's not true. You know, I haven't, I haven't worked in Texas in months, man. I'm I'm international now, Derek. I'm all over the place. <laughs> no, that's true. He's another one. It's funny because I always think of him as gone, even though, you know, his family yeah. is here and he's here. Yeah. Derek and I were friends before I ever auditioned for the show. So he told me when I was going down there to meet with you, that improv might be a part of it. And I was like, oh my gosh, what if I didn't know that? I'm wondering how much it came into play in the audition room. Was there ever like a make or to break it if somebody just wasn't up to playing the improv game alone? bit. The improv was especially important with the football players because a lot of just like smack talk in the locker room, which 
everyone knows when you audition for me, you're going to be reading with me. Anytime someone wasn't quite getting it, or some guy was afraid to get in my face or something, that's when Jeffrey would come around the table. Yes. Get up in their face and he'd be going back and forth. And I mean, you had no choice. You realize the producers, you want to punch him and you want to yell at him, but that became a thing. And it got to where it was just fun because I knew, oh God, here he comes. He's coming around the table. He's going to get in their face and they'll be up against the wall. And it was great, you know, and then we'd all laugh about it and have a good time. But it was definitely a part of it. Look, there was amazing dialogue written and we never wanted to lose any of that. But we did also want people to feel authentic and to feel like their age and the age of the characters in high school. And I think some of that is knowing how the kids talk these days. Stacey, you weren't the only friend that I had in Dallas. I had lived in Dallas when I got Friday Night Lights. Steve Walters, who played Glenn Reed, my buddy Joey Oglesby, Oglesby. who played Guy Raston, Lynn Blackburn, who was on the show in later seasons. That was the one piece of advice for everyone. I'm like, hey, go in there, Mm -hmm. knowing that they're going to ask you at some point in time to improv and just go with it. When we cast Angela Renee as Michael B. Jordan's mom, she was fortunate the first time we met her character, Pete Berg was there for casting and either directing that episode or just around. And she did the scene and she was amazing. I think it was a callback since it was a recurring role. And he did the coolest thing. He took a pin and he put a black X on the wall and he told her there's a rat nailed to the wall. So you are coming out of your high and maybe it's really there. Maybe it's not there. Just do the scene, but that rat's on the wall. And so she just every once in a while would look and sort of indicate, but then go back into her conversation. It was so amazing. It was very subtle. And it just made like such a difference. She didn't really change anything in the way she did the dialogue, but just that weird every once in a while look. And it was very subtle. It wasn't a huge reaction at all. But when they called me from the network with studio approval, they said, was there something on the wall? And I said, yes, there was. There was a rat nailed to the wall. They're like, we like Angelo. (laughs) It was so great. Even just like that weird bit of improv just made a huge difference. This next question that I have is kind of selfish because Stacey and I are both actors, but what is one piece of advice you would give for an actor before they step into that audition room? That's such a hard question. And it's got to be one. It can't be multiple. I'm kidding. You can- all of them. (laughs) You know, I want everyone to be human beings. I know that sounds weird, but people trip over their words. They say the wrong thing. Mistakes happen. And that's all real life. Yeah. And if you mess up a word, I want you to just stay in it. I can see the moment when someone has missed a line, but they kept going and I'm fine with it. And we keep going, but I always see in their eyes when they realize, oh, I missed that line. And oh my God, can I try and put that back in? I wonder if I can put that back in. But they're saying the words of dialogue, but they're thinking about something else completely different. And they haven't allowed themselves to sort of be human and just be in the moment. When I've auditioned for you in the past, there's a skill set that you have. You're very calming. And I've noticed whenever I've had auditions for you, I don't feel like I got to get this job. I got to get this job. It's not like a pressure thing. You make the room a calm place and it feels like a place where you can create art. And Mm -hmm. that's what I think is an actor I'm looking for when I go in there is, you know, I I don't know what you guys are looking for. I'm going to try my best to create and figure out what it is I think this is. And you've kind of always allowed that to happen, at least in my experience being in the room with you. And even the ability to fail in the room without it being like failure, but try this and maybe that thing you try doesn't work, but it's like, yeah, we tried. Let's try something else. And you like have the ability to fail a little bit and then try something else. It doesn't happen all the time. No, it doesn't. (laughs) There are times where you walk in and it's very much like you are 
trying to get a job. And with you, it always, even if I didn't get the job, it felt like I've got the job and this is our moment to kind of work on it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? We're going to try and work on it and see what this is. And it was an artistic experience. And you walk out going, man, that felt great. And then you may not get the job, but it doesn't matter because you had that moment for that day. I kind of look at acting and auditioning nowadays as like, this may be your only opportunity to act this week. So ah, well, thank you it. so much. Yeah. I love to hear that. And I want it to be a safe place. And I want it. I mean, look, that's the great thing about being in this community and not like in the gigantic. I mean, it is a small community anyway, but being here, you know, it's like, I haven't seen you guys. And so it's like, when I get to bring you in and we get to have fun, you know, I want you to get the job just as badly as you want the job. That's what the and feeling is. Like you have somebody yeah, exactly. on your side. I got to sit on the other side of it because I ran a theater company for a little while. And so I got to sit on the other side of the desk and it was always amazing to me because I don't know, I think when I was younger, maybe starting out in the business, it was this idea like you were the person preventing me from getting my job. Mm-hmm. Not you specifically, but <laughs> casting directors, you know, it's yeah. these scary people that are the ones in the way. And it's like, well, no, dude, I realized when I sat on the other side of the table, I'm not wasting my own time. If I brought you in, it's because I honestly think that there's a good chance that you might be right for this role. That changed my fundamental thinking about the role of a casting director and what my role as an actor is when I go into the room. I think everyone should have that opportunity. I mean, that is the thing. Obviously, we want you to get the job. And there are times I do want to see what your idea of the character is, because sometimes I don't know what I'm looking for until I see it. I want to be open to whatever your interpretation is. I'm glad to know that I have created that environment. You know, I mean, and that is what I miss about not being able to have in-person casting. That's the question that I actually had for you. Is there a moment on the show or a character on the show that while you were trying to cast it, you had an idea of what you thought it was and then some actor came in and completely and totally turned it on its ear and you were like, wow, I didn't see it that way before, but maybe that's what it is and that person wound up getting the job? I don't know if I've had that. I mean, it's funny because there were times, like Stacey, did you audition for the role that you ultimately got or did you audition for something else? No, it was for Mindy, but I didn't even have a callback. I just did, I read with you and Jeffrey and then got a call like two days later. I booked it. Yeah. So like the actor that we cast for Coach Stan, we did not audition him for that. Like we auditioned him for something. I brought him in for like a nurse or something. Oh, and wow. Jeffrey went, oh my God, there's a role coming up that he'd be great for. And I was like, wait, Russell? <laughs> he was like, yeah. I'm like, he's a coach? And he was like, yes, just wait. And of course, I don't think he was what they originally planned. But then yeah. he took that ball and ran with it. We had so much fun working together in seasons four and so five. fun. But that was a surprise. And of course, I had already had ideas of people to bring in for that role. So I was also like a little bummed they didn't really <laughs> But I was thrilled that Russell got it and it became a great recurring role. Yeah. I love that. In this show specifically too, it started out and became such an ensemble piece and it was so much about like being a bit of a team player the way that we were shooting. Can you tell in the room if an actor is going to be a good fit for that to be like a team player? We did the improv. That is one way of knowing. Are they going to be able to roll with it? Just knowing that someone is able to listen and talk to us about it. And, you know, there were times where it was just, hey man, we like you, you know, let's do it again if you mess up or something. Someone who was able to collaborate in that way and not be so nervous. And look, it's okay to be nervous and we were fine with that, but we wanted to see that enthusiasm about it and willingness to come play with us. The fact that Jeffrey was in the room, he was often there, whether he was directing or not. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously he was directing on set. He wasn't in the casting, but he could see it. He has a really great eye and he could see it in someone. And even if he didn't get it quite in the room, he knew he'd get it later. And I have to say, even at the studio and network level, they must've also had that same trust because there were times that I was sending up clips for approval that I was like, oh, I don't know if this clip's gonna get approved, but they could see it as well.
Was there any role in particular that you guys had a really, really difficult time casting? And can you talk about that? You know what? Stanley Bo Miller. <laughs> we went through a lot of kiddos. I had read Jay early and I don't think he really gave the performance that the guest director at the time really wanted. And I kept saying, but, but don't you see it in there? I mean, I read and we did casting session after casting session with all these little kids. And like, at some point, Reiner called me and was like, all right, what's going on? Like, why can't you find this kid? And I was like, can I just show you a kid? I just think this kid's got something and he's little and he, he loves football anyway. Like he is Stanley Bo Miller. <laughs> and I showed it to him and he was like, oh yeah. Oh, for sure. And it's funny because years later when Rhonda Crest was doing the blind side, she called me and was like, I've been looking at a bunch of kids and do you have any kids in Texas? And do you want to do a search? And I said, I'll do a search. But like in the first like 30 seconds of the phone call, I said, have you read a kid named Jay Head? And she was yeah. like, I don't know. And I said, well, you should read him. He had done like an episode of How I Met My Mother or something. He'd done a little bit of stuff, but you know, just in that phone call. And I believe he had actually sent in a tape and Rana's office had somehow missed it or overlooked it and ultimately went back and revisited it and he got the job. So it was very cool. That's pretty awesome. Has there ever been a time, because I mean, you've worked with some pretty big time people in this business. I mean, I know I've been starstruck being on set before, but have you, does it still happen? Oh, I definitely get nervous. In a way, I tell actors all the time, I'm, I'm just like you, I'm trying to get the job. You know, if I'm interviewing with someone when I want it, I can get really nervous. It's funny when I did GCB, be a pilot. Oh, I love um, that show. And, you know, and I had Darren Starr. I had like people from Sex and the City. And like yeah. my sides were like, at some point <laughs> the pages went flying and I'm oh, sure no. my camera operator was like, what the heck is wrong with that? I thought I was like, these people are like, to me, it's like, you know, the writers and the directors are people that make me nervous, you know, yeah. you know, working with Robert Rodriguez for so many years, you know, I remember doing the first Sin City and at some point Benicio Del Toro came in to show his prosthetic makeup and I'm sitting there looking at him. And then when I realized who it was, I just quietly walked away <laughs> <laughs> instead of going, Hey, Benicio, I'm a huge fan. I was like, Oh God, that's well, good about you. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a favorite memory from the whole FNL days? I know there's just so many. I mean, I love, like I said, the Angela story, Pete nailing the rat to the wall. Even just when we were reading for the pilot, at some point we were all reading for land. Andrew and Linda had said, well, we found this kid, Jesse Plemons. And I was like, oh, well, he's from Texas. I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going to stop looking right now. He would be great, Landry. Like, I, don't, yeah. there's no, I can't read anyone else. So even though he read in LA, he didn't read here and he was already gone. That kind of stuff. You know, there were a lot of memories like that. And then <laughs> winning the Emmy was big. Yay! <laughs> and it's funny, we had agreed that if we went up there, Linda was double nominated. Linda and John were nominated for Grey's Anatomy and yeah. for Friday Night Lights. And so her husband was with us his job was to hand her the right like index card, which he did, but we had agreed she was talking and we weren't talking. And then at the end, she didn't tell us she was going to say clear eyes, full hearts. And then John and I just kind of looked at each other and went, oh, can't lose. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was certainly fun. And the family in Friday Night Lights, Kyle Chandler, it's funny because I was a huge fan of a show that he did called Homefront. My mother and I watched, I, we were huge Kyle Chandler fans. And at some point he had like sent me notes and stuff and was like, Hey, you know, this sent me a headshot, someone to read or something. 
something. And I would read the person, but I never like responded. And I think at one point he called me and I didn't call him back. I was like, Kyle Chandler's calling me. Why is he calling me? And when he was finally directing an episode, he was like, yo, what do I have to do to get you to call me back? And I was like, oh, I can't talk to you. <laughs> you're Kyle Chandler. Oh, because of that. He's thinking you're like shining him because you're being a big shot. <laughs> That's funny. So is there a project that you're working on right now or something that you've already cast that's coming out that you want us to know about? It's crazy the way the pandemic has changed what we're doing and how we're doing it. The series that I'm starting right now is shooting in Oklahoma. It's not even in my neck of the woods, which is as a location casting director, that's what I normally do. But it is currently untitled Tulsa Project starring Sylvester Stallone. And he's like a mafia guy. I literally just read for you. I didn't know you were working on that, but yeah. Which role did you read? The uh, bar owner. Yeah, okay. Take a look at my tape. I knew what we were reading you for. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Yeah, well, take a look at my tape. I'll send you a headshot that's fully formed. (laughs) You'll get the other half of the headshot this time, the bottom (laughs) half. Exactly. (laughs) That's exactly what it is. It's super funny, even though I'm not sure that they're touting it as a comedy. It totally is. It's great. There's some great moments in it. Are we allowed to say who the writer is on it? I think public knowledge. You can find that in the trade. Taylor Sheridan is on that one. Well, and Terrence Winter and the guys from Sopranos, Boardwalk Empire, like, you know, it's it's great. It's really, and yeah, Taylor having just come off 1883 and to see Taylor and all that. Yeah. That's very cool. I should have known that you were a part of that, obviously. Well, I'm excited to be a part of it. It's interesting because I'm trying to lean heavy into local Oklahoma. Like we did on Friday Night Lights, leaning into Texas. I've been trying to read a lot of people in Oklahoma, but then also every show that shoots up there, pull some people. Yeah. It's the same drive from Dallas to Oklahoma City as it yes, is it Dallas is. to Austin. Yeah. <laughs> Did it many times. Yeah. So that was one other question I had for you, and then we're going to let you go. But with the pandemic and everything that's kind of happened, your job has changed. We were talking about this when we first got on the phone with you here today. Your job has changed a lot. Our job as actors has changed a lot because we're not in the room anymore with you guys. Yeah. So what's the biggest difference that you've seen from that? And do you think it'll go back to normal at some point? It's funny. I don't know if it was when people first started coming out of lockdown, another cast director was doing a workshop and asked if I would come be a guest speaker. And I walk in the door and Grandma Saracen's in there. Luann Stevens is in there. And I'm like, why are you taking a workshop? There's nothing I can teach you. (laughs) Like you teach me. She said, no, everything is self-taped. And she said, I don't get any feedback. I don't know. I get two pages from a script. I know very little. And it was a struggle. I mean, I totally empathize with you guys not being able to get your questions answered. And that's a thing my entire casting career, people walk in and I say, do you have any questions? And it's not a trick. I tell people, that's not a trick. Do you have a legit question? I was doing a series called Lone Star and Peter Horton was the producing director. And he was like, oh, stop asking that question. That's a bogus question. I'm like, no, they might have a real question. And it's interesting. I was actually thinking this morning on this show that I'm doing in Oklahoma that there's people that I like, but the self-tape isn't, you know, one of them legitimately, the sound is not synced with the person talking. Yeah. And she's great, but the tape is just not great. And so I thought I need to do a round of Zoom auditions so that I'm at least directing them. I'm recording it. And I can control those things because at least I can recreate the in-person a little bit. So I miss that interaction and that ability to help and guide the actors through the audition. So hopefully we'll get back to that. I have continued to pay rent on my office for two years. (laughs) I think I've been in twice, maybe three times, but I hope it goes back to that. I will say on the plus side, there was a time when we would do 
auditions. It would be at the end of the day after the scout, the director would come to my office and it was like, okay, you have a call back or you're coming in for the director and it's between four and 5 PM on Tuesday. And that was it. Like if you couldn't get in, you didn't read. And so now that you can send in a self tape and you can do it pretty much whenever you have the ability to do that and send it in and be seen, I do think it's opened up that and given people opportunities that maybe people felt like they missed opportunities in the past. I mean, for me, I actually enjoy it to a certain degree. I have actor friends of mine that have massive anxiety when they go into rooms. So I know for them, they don't have that anxiety when they're on set, but they have it when they go in the room. But there's also sometimes you have the distractions of other actors in the waiting room making noise or anything can throw you. I remember an air conditioning unit going off in the middle or there was a casting director who had her dog in the office and the dog started barking and I'm trying to get through this. So yeah, you've got the convenience of putting what you think the best take is. But that is one of the problems. I know that there are jobs, I can't say 100% that I got them because of this, but I got done with my audition in the room and I could tell that maybe not everyone was 100% on board. And then I have the opportunity to say, hey, do you guys want to see that a different way? And sometimes they go, no, we're good. And you walk out the door. But then there have been one or two times where, you know, a director will go, yeah, I don't think he's that angry. And so now I've got something that's an adjustment. And I do feel like there have been times where I kind of want it after my audition. Right. And so it's a bummer that that's not there. I do tell people when they're sending in self tapes, if you have any questions or have, you know, send me multiple takes, upload them separately so that I can delete the ones that I don't want to (laughs) show that people may go, why did they do that? I believe that I have found a way to help the actors with the way that we're doing things now by doing simple things like that. Sounds like it. I don't want it to completely and totally go away, but I also would like to have in-room auditions at some point. Maybe. Yeah, I'd like a hybrid. Callback. Which is what we've done, especially on the things that I've done recently. I've done where we started with in-person. I gave the actors the opportunity, especially since it's still Texas. Anytime I audition people, they're from Houston, Dallas, San Antonio, Austin, Corpus. So I give them the opportunity to come in person, which some just desperately wanted to do and drove from Houston or wherever. I had an argument with a good actor friend of mine the other day about it. And I'm like, I love self-taping. And she's like, I can't stand it. I mean, I kind of like the freedom of, you know, I got props. Sure, absolutely. (laughs) And you can go, oh, I hate that. Do it again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, so we gave them the opportunity and I start with the in-person and then my entire session just switches to Zoom. People who couldn't make it, well, here's the self-tape. That drive from Dallas to Austin was a kick in the... Yeah, it's gas and it's time and yeah. it's yeah. kicking off work. It's a lot. Beth, we have taken up enough of your time. I can't thank you enough for coming. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm thrilled. I'm re-watching the show with my daughter. I was actually re-watching. I'm a little further along than you guys. Yeah, it's bittersweet. It was such a fun time and such a wonderful time in both of our lives for Stacey and I, and I'm sure for you as well. You guys look great. It's so great to see you both. Thank Thank you. You too. Great to see you too, Beth. Okay, guys, that is it for season two, episode five. But please join us next time for episode six entitled, How Did I Get Here? But until then, clear eyes. Full hearts. Can't lose. Clear Eyes, Full Hearts is a podcast presentation of Cadence 13 in association with Black Barrel Media and Ritual Productions. Executive producers are Stacey Oristano and Derek Phillips, Chris and Mandy Wimmer for Black Barrel Media, and Steve Walters for Ritual Productions. Our producer is Miranda Parham. Send your questions to clearEyesFullHeartsPod at gmail.com. Find us on social media. I'm Stacey Oristano on Twitter and Instagram. And I'm at Derek Phillips on Twitter and underscore Derek Phillips on Instagram. And check out our website, clearEyesFullHeartsPod.com, cadence13.com, and blackbarrelmedia.com. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll see you next week.